One full week into pre-season and Arsenal are already under the cosh as their captain goes on strike. Tottenham pip them to the signature of a French teenager and they think 40 million quid will get them Wilfred Zaha. Still, at least they've signed a striker from the Brazilian fourth division. Gabriel Martinelli describing the move as something he dreamt of since childhood, or in other words, actual last month. Mind you, it could be worse for the Gunners. There could be Newcastle, who are about to appoint 2004 Steve Bruce as their manager. Meanwhile, in Africa, as sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti, Algeria and Senegal book their places in the Africa Cup of Nations final. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. This is the Totally Football Show. Hello, listeners. While every other football podcast is off on their summer holiday, your Totally Football show keeps on rolling. After all, it's not like anything else of note happened in the world of sport this weekend, is it, lol? We're here every Monday and Thursday throughout the month until the season kicks off. So who's in the house today building up their fitness? First up, the marquee signing of the summer. Not just because he's a supporter of two-time European champions Nottingham Forest. It's the Totally Football show's Nick Miller. Hello, Matt. Two-time European champions. Yeah, yeah, won it and then retained it. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Double the amount of European Cups that London have got. We're also in the company of Optus Duncan Alexander, a.k.a. the Statman. Hello. Do you enjoy that moniker? Um, It's better than some. Yeah, it's better than boffin. Um, Did you know that the Scatman, open brackets, ski-bar-bop-bar-dot-bop, close brackets, is nearing its 25th birthday? It is, yeah, November 94. And there's actually something quite sinister about this song and the Premier League. Do you want to know what it is? Yes, I think you've got a random, spontaneous link between Scatman John and the Premier League. So, the top scoring player and the top assister of every player that's born after that song came out is Raheem Sterling. Right? Yeah. He was born a week or so after that song came out. Um, and the top scoring Premier League player of all time and the top assister of all time in the Premier League, who has all the letters of Scatman in his name, is Steve McManaman. Now, both of those players left Liverpool to better their careers and, and you know, lost some popularity. So there's something vaguely sinister going on there. Yeah, pretty vague, but yeah, we'll take it. Uh, number one in 13 countries, three weeks in the UK. Interesting, only hit number 20 in Iceland and, and number 84 in Canada. Anyway, enough of that. Time for a bit of this. Yes, it looks like Arsenal fans are going to have to come up with a new song for Laurent Koscielny. The club captain, and if you'll excuse the tabloid parlance, <clears throat> sensationally went on strike at the end of last week and refused to board the plane for Arsenal's pre-season tour of America, causing a bust-up with teammates and the manager. Uh, it's not been the only whiff of discontent emanating from the Emirates, so earlier I spoke to Charles Watts, Arsenal correspondent for goal to get the latest on Koscielny and much, much more. It's totally out of character and and Arsenal are stunned. There had been warnings about it. They were very aware of Koscielny's desire to go and to go back to France this summer and there had been warnings like I was saying that he wasn't happy and on the Wednesday before they flew he told Unai Emery that he wasn't, he didn't want to go on the tour. He wanted to stay behind and try and get the move sorted to which Emery was you know, understandably not very happy and said, no, no, you're, you're coming, you're the captain, you're you're coming on the tour, there's no reason for you not to come to the States. And then he turned up on Thursday morning, they were flying out Thursday lunchtime and he basically said, 
I'm not going. I'm I'm staying here. I'm going to train. I'll train with the under 23s, but I'm not going with you. And that was that. And Arsenal were absolutely furious. They put a statement out, which for Arsenal was pretty unprecedented, really, to hang a player out to dry like that, really. But I think it was actually the right move because I think what Koscielny, a 33-year-old experienced player, the captain has done is is bordering under disgrace, really. I mean, you look at other examples, even Paul Pogba at the moment for United. I mean, he's gone over to uh, Australia for their tour. He's not gone on strike to try and force his move, even though it's widely known he wants out. And for, for your captain to do it, it's just, it sends out an awful message to those to the younger players in the team, in the dressing room, the younger players who are travelling to the States. Um, and it leaves Arsenal in a really, really difficult position. You know, they've not been able to bring a centre-back in. They've been desperate to sign one this summer and get Mustafi out, but they can't find any buyers for Mustafi. I don't get why Koscielny's done it. He's, whatever happens now, he's completely tarnished his legacy that had built up. And he'd been there nearly 10 years, arguably the best sign-in, certainly the best defensive sign-in at the Emirates era. And, um, and now... What, he's just thrown it all away just for a, a move back to Bordeaux. If the Koscielny situation wasn't bad enough, Charles, it looks like they've been gazumped by Spurs for this young French centre-back, Saliba. Yeah, I mean, it's, they haven't been pipped to the post yet by Spurs, so that's sort of still ongoing. Arsenal are hopeful that they'll still get that deal done for William Saliba, but um, Spurs have come in. I mean, the, the deal was done for Saliba. The, the contracts were at the lawyers. It was that, you know, it was all being proofed over. It had been agreed and... Uh, and then, yeah, Tottenham went in, slapped in the same amount of money, but a far more attractive offer in terms of upfront payments to Sinesian. And it's completely <laughs> changed the whole landscape. Arsenal were sitting there celebrating their second signing of the season and uh, the summer. And, um, and yeah, not to be. So that one's still still some work to go to try and get that out. It was quick classic Daniel Levy, that as well. The, the whole bid went in basically in the middle of the night in LA, where all the Arsenal executives were trying to sleep off their jet lag. And we'll have to wait and see. I think that that will happen pretty soon. We'll, we'll find out in the next sort of 48 hours possibly what happens with Sleeper and where he's going to go. Still not all bad news. They've got Edu in as technical director and Freddie Lundberg's been promoted to first team coach. Give Gunners fans some reason to be optimistic about the season ahead. <laughs> well, reason to be optimistic for the season ahead. I think you've just got to look at the strikers and think you're going to score goals if they can just sort out the defensive issue. I mean, last season was not a bad season. If, if you cut off... If you cut the season off at like April the 1st, just after they beat in Newcastle 2-0, and they were, it was a very shaping up to be a very impressive first season for Emery. And then they just pressed the self-destruct button in spectacular Arsenal style over the last five games in the Premier League. Um, and then obviously in Baku, uh, ended up somehow missing out on the top four, which the position they got themselves into is almost harder to do that. Um, and so that was a real disappointment. And it was, again, you just look at the defensive record, conceded 50 goals for a second successive season. They just have to improve that. They can't keep shipping goals like that because if they do tighten up at the back, they're always going to score goals with those strikers up front. And Lacazette, I expect to get even better this season. He was player of the season last year. Aubameyang got 30 goals plus last year and he'll do that again, I'm sure, this year. Um, and so you just got to, you've got to sort it out defensively. If they can do that, they can just get one decent centre-back in, or if they can get Rob Holding back in, he gets back to the sort of form he was showing before he suffered the cruciate ligament injury. Um, and they get Tierney in and just improve, they certainly plug the gaps on the left side of that defence. And Bellerin will come back. Again, that immediately improves them because he was a massive miss once he got injured in December. So there is room for improvement there. They've got some really good youngsters as well. Hopefully, I'm really expecting to see good things from Reese Nelson this season after his spell at Hoffenheim last year. So there is definite room for improvement there. I like the appointment of Edu. That sorts that side of things out 
Like I said, Freddie Lundberg has come up from the 23s. He's going to help guide the youngsters that they've promoted through to the first-team squad this season with Nelson and Kessia, Emil Smith-Rowe, Joe Willett. He'll really help with them. At the moment, it does seem very much doom and gloom, as it always tends to during transfer season when it comes to Arsenal. But once the window shuts, you'd hope they'd have another couple of people in place and they will hopefully sort of defensive out. If they do that, then there's no reason why they can't have another push on the top four. On Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Charles Watts there from Goal. Read more from him at goal.com and on Twitter at Charles underscore W-A-T-T-S. So Charles reckons that the Gunners can push for the top four again this season. Um, Duncan, shouldn't they be more concerned with being caught up by Wolves and Leicester and maybe even Everton? Yeah, and maybe other teams as well. I mean, they've conceded 102 goals in the last two Premier League seasons, which sounds like a lot and I can confirm is quite a lot of goals. I mean, they let in 51 in Wenger's last season and everyone was like, well, we'll get a new manager in who's more defensively organised. And then they let in exactly the same number of goals. So this kind of idea that Koscielny has to stay because you know without him the defense will collapse I don't it's already pretty bad I mean he would be a, a big player to lose but um you know obviously that Emery's first season was very much dominated by that 22 game unbeaten run in the autumn um but in sort of the same way that Man United overperformed when Solskjaer came in it was you know very much a case of that um Arsenal were sort of 14 goals up on XG in that period and they kind of reverted back to normal uh after the new year and and you know looked pretty pretty brittle so yeah, defence isn't great. Attacks were okay, but um, yeah, again, you know, away from home. You know, Arsenal famously went unbeaten away from home not once but twice in Premier League history. They were always the team that could play away from home, but you know, they're now pretty, uh, pretty ropey on the road. And then this morning we get this. Um letter from 16 Arsenal supporters, groups and bloggers to owner Stan Kroenke calling him to reinvigorate them by improving the matchday experience and like spending money on players and stuff. And they say at the moment the club feels like an investment vehicle, which I think is kind of a fair enough statement, really. Any of these changes actually likely to happen? Uh, I don't think so, as long as uh, Stan Kroenke is in charge and sort of occasionally just sends his son over to, to look around and make sure there's lots of cash piling up in, in uh, the club. I quite like the this club statement. It's this kind of calmer, more erudite version of Arsenal fan TV. Just you know, although I noticed they didn't get their the, any input from troops or and the guys in their statement. <laughs> I would have, would have jazzed it up a little bit, I suppose. But um, I'm quite surprised that this 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 kind of statement has has taken so long. Really, it's the the Arsenal fans that I know have been thinking and saying these kind of things for quite a long time. So I mean, um, it's perfectly reasonable that they sort of formalise it. I'm surprised it's taken this long. It's quite interesting as well that they they point out obviously the obvious things about transfers and the atmosphere and things, but they also they also come out against the Super League as well and say you know football you know we don't want endless kind of Super League games that that mean nothing. So um, as you say, yeah, very erudite and you know I'm sure a lot of fans of other clubs would kind of empathise as well. With the Super League thing, are they were they saying that? Um, they they don't want Arsenal to be part of it, or are they concerned that they won't be part of it. No, I think they they're saying that they don't want Arsenal to be one of the clubs that's sort of in it. Um, but you get the feeling that they would rather it not happen than it happen and Arsenal not be in it. You yeah. know, that's option yeah. bit C, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so probably responding to this is going to be one of the first things in the inbox of Edu, who's in his technical director. Word emanating from the direction of the campfire seems to have him pegged as a smart cookie. Knows the club inside and out from. 20 years ago, um, I guess. Other than responding to this, is he going to be able to sort of convince them to sign some players? Is he maybe going to be thinking about the position of the manager even? 
not well, not not this summer. Maybe maybe at some point in next season. It's he, he's in a, a little bit of a difficult position because the the as as this statement says, they they very much need to do things now. But he's come in halfway through the summer. He surely can't have that much impact on on how they're doing things he's just coming from you know winning the Copa America with Brazil yeah I mean modern football recruitment takes place over a number of years you know players are spotted scouted you know a lot of assessment over a long time you can't just kind of come in mid-July and go hang on guys I've got this list of players and and here we go so yeah it could work over a longer period but I think Arsenal has discussed need a kind of quick fix as well it's just it's like a curious idea that this guy can stride in and say I played here for three years 15 years ago and this is what you need to do and I know how to do it and I know how to do it now um, I think uh, hopefully people have got more realistic expectations of what he can do and this is more of a long term thing but presumably because his history with the club as a player is not amazing but the stuff that he's done since he retired is pretty impressive it's not just a kind of we're getting one of the old boys in to you know look good in public kind of thing he is actually going to have some impact and do some stuff yeah he's not like a kind of it's not like a sort of souped up club ambassador but yeah who knows I mean, people who know more about the the work he's done before uh, seem to say he's he's very good, very smart guy, but um, you know it's it's just going to take a little bit of time. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport is back for the Tour de France, and there's no bigger privilege than to say the words: Geraint Thomas is our Tour de France champion. Join me, Graham Wilgos, Sir Brad, and our special guests every Monday for unrivaled insight. G, because of his mental strength and his laid-back character, his focus, the way he approaches things, he's very laid-back. I think I think he could win a second Tour. Yeah, definitely. Exclusive interviews and uncanny impressions. I don't think we're going to sign him next year. What do you think, Brad? Do you want a massage, Kev? Uh, Bradley said that uh, your team is full of <laughs> Johnny in St. Helens. <laughs> Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Au revoir. So that's Arsenal and their glum supporters. But it could be worse, guys. You could be a Newcastle fan. Um, Nick, how's it happened that the club's gone from definitely being taken over by a multi-billionaire shake just a few weeks ago, but since managed to let Rafa Benitez's contract run down, sell one of its best players, make no summer signings, and now finds itself in the preposterous position of haggling with Sheffield Wednesday over Steve Bruce? <laughs> it's a sensational tone of voice. I like it. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I at the time of recording, it sounds like Brucey has resigned he was um, confronted by a, an angry Sheffield Wednesday fan at a pre-season friendly uh, over the over the weekend, um, asking him to explain himself. But yeah, I, I, it's it's a repeat of uh, Steve Bruce's big year in two thousand and one when he was Wigan manager for about three months, and then he was Crystal Palace manager, resigned quite promptly, and Simon Jordan took an uh, injunction out uh, against him to prevent him becoming Birmingham manager. It's quite nice. It's a, it's, a, it's retro from from Steve Bruce, but yeah, obviously um, not a happy time to be a Newcastle supporter. I mean, you think back to the start of the summer, Newcastle had Rafa Benitez as manager and it looked like they were going to get new owners. They're getting towards the end of the summer. Rafa's gone and they've still got the same owners and now the Steve Bruce is coming in. I mean, of managers who have had 250 games or more in Premier League history, only two have got a win percentage of less than 30%. Steve Bruce... And Brian Robson. So uh, that's the real class of 92, I think. Wow. Um, on the matter, Bruce has been quiet publicly. Were he not, he'd probably say something like, hey, listen, everybody knows it's me boyhood club. I'm a Geordie. 
The chairman here has been fantastic with me, to be fair to him, and we're supporters too terrific, but they're not daft. They know where my heart lies, and, and if we can just get something sorted so I can go there and hopefully sort out my home form, why not, you know? Um, younger listeners <laughs> might only know him as the man who had a cabbage thrown at him before being sacked to Aston Villa. I mean, he's a reasonable, safe pair of hands for a championship club, right? But his Premier League record's not great. And, and also, does he not sort of owe Sheffield Wednesday something for letting him start work a month late? Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. I mean, even the I think the, the, the cabbage throwers of Aston Villa will uh, debate whether he's the safe pair of hands. They um, seem to perk up rather as soon as he well not not too long after he left um simultaneously baffling and also exactly the sort of thing that you'd expect Newcastle to do yeah but, I mean this is the club that brought in Joe Kinnear mm. um out of nowhere so th- in that context this is a fairly sane move I think yeah I mean the, the, the at least you could sort of laugh about having Joe Kinnear in um this is just sort of dispiriting and deflating it all feels quite relegation-y, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they start against Arsenal uh, neatly, given what we've talked about. Um, Steve Bruce's teams have scored nine goals in 20 games against Arsenal in Premier League history, which is not great. Um, he's never beaten Manchester United as a manager, which is possibly why he always gets touted by certain people as a safe pair of hands for Manchester United occasionally. But I don't think that's going to happen. It seems like a long time ago that he, after he left Hull, he went on holiday and got a tan and lost some weight. And then as soon, about a month after he got in work again, he just looked downtrodden and beaten down with the, the, the awfulness of being a football manager. That seemed, feels like a long time ago now. So given that, that he was downtrodden and beaten, why did you then go and work for Mike Ashley? Is it just because it's his hometown club, etc., and so on? Do you not think at his age, you know, after the stress he's been under away from football for a bit, well, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, this and, is a bit calmer. But but he he if he was looking at things logically, he he might think that my God, this might be the last chance, the last time that anyone offers me a Premier League job. So he's you know, snatch it with both hands, even if it might not be a Premier League job for too much longer. But I mean, also, often when someone goes to their hometown club, that gives them a little kind of window of, of breathing space. But he's already vastly unpopular with Newcastle fans, so he doesn't even have that to play with. Um, so, yeah. Good luck, Steve. Hey, Duncan. You're going to be part of the first Totally Football Live of the new season. That's exciting. Mm. It's going down at the South Bank Centre on Monday, September 30th, by which time Jimbo will be very much back and he'll be alongside Continental Fancy Dan's James Horncastle and Julian Laurent. That sounds like your kind of thing. Listeners, head to southbankcentre.co.uk and search for Totally Live. Right, I'm yet to be booked for a live show by producer Ben, but I was part of one for a wrestling podcast called Gorilla Position, which ended up with a host called James being hurled through a table after a heel turn by his supposed pals. Something similar presumably is going to be happening. You literally can't rule that out. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be the uh, it's what the South Bank Centre is uh, is used to and yeah sure it'll happen again only one way to find out if it does folks totally football live at the South Bank Centre Monday September 30th get your tickets at southbankcentre.co.uk all right, should we talk about transfers and stuff? Um, Duncan, Antoine Griezmann did indeed go to La Liga with a transit van full of cash to pay his release fees now a Barcelona player but Atleti have still got beef how come? Uh, because have they not properly triggered the right amount? Or Apparently so. It all seems ludicrously confusing to me, and, and it's all kind of weird anyway, because didn't Griezmann do a whole video about how he was staying like a year ago? Yes, and which uh, very much the kind of low-rent version of the LeBron James decision. I think the, the uh, Atletico's beef is that they 
um, there was this clause in his contract which meant the release clause went down on July the 1st, but Atletico contend that the deal between Barcelona and Griezmann was actually done way before that, so they want the full £200 million or whatever or whatever it is. I mean, you have to pay respects to how much La Liga rates and uses the transfer release system. I mean, it's just, you know, they love it. I'm all for it in this sense, as discussed last week. Yeah, and uh, it, it brought us the, the great joy of the first abortive Ander Herrera transfer when men turned up at the the uh, La Liga office who turned out to be have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with anyone. Yeah. But people thought they were there to trigger the release clause, but they weren't. It was that was a, a glorious day. Yeah, that was vintage Ed Woodward, wasn't it? Um, his new release fee, by the way, eight hundred million euros. So mm. probably not going to be released anytime soon. There's only actually three players who've scored fifteen or more goals in each of the last five La Liga seasons: Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann. So that's good, isn't it for Barcelona? Um, yeah, yeah. Peter Crouch. Never scored in La Liga because he never played there, but he has retired. Duncan, favourite crouchy goal slash moment slash stat slash story? Uh, favourite stat is, well, there's a few. I mean, he scored 1.04% of all the headed goals in Premier League history, and he scored more headed goals than 21 of the 49 teams to play in the Premier League, <laughs> which is good. Only 97 players in the entire history of the Champions League have scored more goals than Peter Crouch, which is, you know, perhaps more surprising. I think the best goal has got to be that Stoke one against Manchester City. Um, just extraordinary kind of looped semi-volley. Um, but I think Pete Crouch is kind of testament to plugging away in your career. You know, he, he never kind of looks a world beater, but if you actually look at his numbers, he was pretty impressive. And, and kind of everyone that played with him was always surprised when they first played with him how good he was. Um, and he's also relentlessly popular, um, you know, which goes a long way in, in the dressing room as well. So, And you saw the kind of outpouring of, of love for him when he announced it last week. Um yeah, a really good, solid, nice man. Will he be on Strictly this year, do you think, Nick? Oh, almost certainly. He was, he's, he's sort of odd thing in that you he, he almost hasn't felt like a footballer for, for a little while because he's, you know, he's a newspaper columnist now and a, a rival podcaster. So even though he has been, you know, he retires a Premier League player, which is bizarre. Um, you know, he, he was at Stoke for seven or eight years, I think. Um, and but in that time, he his playing time decreased to the point that you sort of forgot that he was still playing. But um, but yeah, I mean his England, England record he got twenty two goals in forty odd games for England, which is you know incredible ratio. Scored in a World Cup. Scored in a World Cup. Pulled Brent Sancho's dreadlocks to do it. Yeah, and um, of course, just before that World Cup, um, one of the most flamboyantly failed Penenka penalties of all time. Mm. I think it was Jamaica and uh, he chipped it high over the bar, which takes him doing. The summer of the robot as well, yeah, which exactly. lives on yeah. in all of us, I think. Uh, and that great moment where him and Sean Wright Phillips both got subbed on for England in a friendly at Anfield and there was quite the uh, the disparity. Um, you wouldn't kind of associate him with one club, really, would you? Because he had about 50 of them. But, you know, you think Peter Crouch, ex-Liverpool, Peter Crouch, ex-Portsmouth. And you you wouldn't really I don't think I'd really associate him with Stoke either even though that was the the, the mm. longest his longest stint at one club. If I close my eyes and think of Peter Crouch, which I do quite often, I think QPR, but QPR in there, um, definitely some Portsmouth, um, and yeah, mainly Liverpool. But although obviously Spurs as well, you know, scored that goal that that got Spurs into the Champions League under Harry Redknapp. So 
Um, and scored against Milan in the in the San Siro. Yeah, um, a man for the ages. Had a little spell at Dulwich Hamlet on loan as well. So, really? you know, yeah, touching every division. Well done, Peter. Good career. Um, does anyone want to hear about Chelsea's first pre-season games? I'm going to tell you anyway. They were over in Ireland. They drew 1-1 with Bohemians. Then they beat St. Patrick's 4-0. They played two different teams in each half in both games. Billy Gilmore, an 18-year-old midfielder, has been praised by St. Francis of Lampardium. It's unrelated to the quote from Gilmore before the first game. Frank Lampard was my all-time favourite Chelsea player. Uh, he's only 18, but he's not daft. The great thing about these two games, there's a chap called Eric Malloy, trialist for Bohemians, scored the equaliser, played for St. Patrick's on trial three days later, both against Chelsea. That's just classic pre-season stuff. Elsewhere, dogs, Duncan. Who doesn't mm. love dogs? Um, some people People that don't. get bitten by dogs? Yeah, maybe. Um, but, you know, get over it. They, they probably didn't mean it. Daniel Sturridge loves dogs. Mm. And he was reunited with his dog after it got stolen in what can only be described as a heartwarming story. Very much so. I mean, everyone was pleased to see the dog return uh, alive and well. Um, Sturridge offered money, much money, to, to get the dog back, which is nice. I had a look, actually. Sturridge has got uh, three goals in six games in the Premier League against the Terriers and Wolves. So he's got a mixed... <laughs> A mixed record against the canine community. And people thought these pre-season shows wouldn't have much in the way of content. Uh, Sinophobia, by the way, says producer Ben, uh, is a fear of dogs. It's a tough one with Daniel Sturridge, isn't it? Like He could have been an amazing player if he wasn't so injury prone. But aren't you a bit more interesting than him going to West Ham, which I just sort of assumed would be what happened? Yeah, it's one of those kind of odd transfers that you just kind of go oh, uh, okay yeah great that sounds good uh, he, that he might turn out to be a, a, a huge success he might it might be a, a, a just a, a wet fart of a transfer and it, he just shuffles home at some point but you know all the, the best the dog will probably appreciate the climate and the yeah and the architecture Finally this week, time to talk Africa. Yet we're down to the final two in the Cup of Nations. Senegal and Algeria will contest the final on Friday night. Took an extra time own goal for Mane and co to edge past Tunisia, while Riyad Mahrez's stunning free kick was pretty much the last kick of the game as the Desert Foxes overcame Nigeria. We'll give our thoughts in a minute. First, let's hear from our friend Manny Jasmi, who's in Cairo for the BBC's World Football Podcast. He's been speaking to producer Ben. So, Manny, Algeria versus Senegal in the final then. Have these two been the tournament's outstanding teams? Uh, I think outstanding is stretching it. I don't think there's been an outstanding team, but these two have certainly been the most capable. Senegal have dominated a lot of their games, but they haven't had the players to uh, to finish them off, uh, or at least they would have finished them off if Sadio Mane could take penalties, but he can't. And then against uh, Tunisia, someone else took a penalty and they missed as well. So um, I guess uh, Algeria's plan B must be to, um, if they can't win it in uh, normal time, take it to penalties. It's pretty much guaranteed victory. You were telling us when you were in the pod a couple of weeks ago, Manny, that you've never experienced an atmosphere quite like it on your first trip to Egypt. That was for the opening games. Uh, so what's it been like this time round? Well, it's been very flat because um, the, the minute I landed, Egypt were knocked out. So uh, 
There it hasn't been much fever. Um, the two things, the two huge contrasts for me. The first game I went to was uh, Madagascar's victory over DR Congo in the last 16. There were about 500 fans in the stadium. All of them had been flown over from Madagascar by the president. And they just did not stop making noise for about four and a half hours. Uh, from, from about two hours before kickoff till after the penalty shootout, which Madagascar won, and which was taken in front of 27 spectators behind the goal. So there was that. And then finally, on Sunday, when I went to Algeria and Nigeria, that felt like a proper match. There were thousands of Algerians who'd flown in. Uh, I think most of them just for the night and uh, to, to watch the game. And there was... Initially, it seemed like there was a lot of camaraderie between the Algerians and the Egyptians, who 10 years ago had a massive falling out, uh, a football falling out um, over World Cup qualifiers, which had to be replayed in a neutral venue in the end in Sudan. But the atmosphere inside the stadium and outside the stadium was like a proper match, and it was warm, and it was, it was a night game, and that was, that was great as well. So two contrasting experiences for me. And finally, we've had a couple of people getting in touch with us saying that the crowds have actually been pretty tiny at these games. Is that because, like uh, Jack Lang was telling us about the Copa America, that local people are just priced out of these matches? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, uh, as far as I can uh, make out, it's a large chunk of the average monthly wage in Egypt to buy a ticket. But that isn't really the uh, the full story because um, they've tried to operate a fan ID policy uh, which was very successfully uh, operated at the World Cup last year and a lot of other people have copied it but that has involved people giving their details their personal details which then have to go through the security services and people don't trust the security services uh, not to use them in in one way or another so a lot of people have been reluctant also of course don't forget that outside Europe, it's very, very difficult and expensive to travel uh, throughout Asia or South America uh, and Africa. It's not like you know a, a, gay, a tournament being held in Central Europe or Western Europe, and everyone you know j- drives over for a jolly couple of days. It's a it's a mission to get across these much larger continents, and people can't afford it. That's why crowds have been quite often under 10,000, because the locals, you know, when they were still in it, didn't really care about Guinea versus Madagascar. And since they've been out, they didn't care about much. And so, you know, the crowds in the big stadiums uh, for the games that everyone thought would involve Egypt have still been good because they can't get rid of the tickets, the fans who already had them. Um, But, you know, there are several reasons why the crowds have been small, none of which is because nobody likes football. Manny Jasmi there. Check him out on the BBC's World Football Podcast. That Riyad Mahrez free kick was pretty special, Nick. Yeah, it was a uh, it was an absolute rasper from the uh, edge of the penalty area. It felt like uh, on a week on a weekend when um, certainly in Britain anyway, football was was very much not the at the forefront of um, of sport. That it was like football was this kind of attention seeking child, just kind of jumping up and down in the corner saying, "Notice me, notice me." Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fantastic free kick. Good for Mares, Duncan, but it's going to be tricky for him and Sadio Mane, etc., and so on. Their clubs are already in pre-season and they're still playing this tournament. The, you would expect them not to be playing too much Premier League football in August. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, we always had the in the old days the uh, the issue of African players going off in the middle of the season, and this was supposed to kind of solve that problem. Um, but yeah, it could have a big impact. And we're in an era now where you know, in the old days, dropping a few points in August was fine because you know, no one looks at the league table till we're ten games in. But now with City and Liverpool, if they do what they did last season, you can't drop points anywhere really. Now, elsewhere in Afcon. You see in the quarterfinal, Algeria, Ivory Coast, Rami Bensabiani got Wilfred Zaha's hand and used it to slap himself with. To <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> miss this. <laughs> it's well worth a look. Um, what was he thinking? Why did he do it? It's it's actually quite clever. Well, I think. In, in the old kind of childhood way of kind of stop hitting yourself. Stop yeah. Hitting yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. And oh, got away with it. Oh, tremendous. Delightful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, AFCON. Probably my favourite football-related acronym. Any mm. others? CONCACAF's quite satisfying too. Yeah, CONCACAF, good. Dif- more difficult to say than AFCON is just, yeah, solid. Been six penalties missed in this AFCON, which what? is a record um, for the, the numbers I can look at. <laughs> I mean, there might have been more in the 80s, but um, six out of uh, 13 have been missed, which is not great for a tournament which has struggled for goals anyway. So. Yeah. I'm sure the goalkeepers amongst us would say that some of them have been saved, but yeah. Um, that's it for another preseason totally. If nothing else, we've all banked some valuable minutes and you know what, listeners. We've been recording in Muddy Knees Media's brand new studio. Very nice it is too, especially the fairy lights put up. It says here, producer Ben put them up, but it wasn't producer Ben that put them up, was it? It was one of the sound guys, the coolest guys here. Uh, see for yourself, we put some pictures up on the gram at Totally Football Show for that. Um, Nick, I'm afraid I've got to ask you briefly about Sabri Lamushi's decision to become the latest manager of the two-time European champions for a couple of months. And we started the show with some scat man, John. Can we at least take some solace in the fact that Lamushi already has a chant to the tune of Was His Love by Hadaway? And it goes like this. What is love? Sabri Lamushi, Lamushi, Shador. I mean, they had a good one for Philippe Montagnier as well, didn't they? To the tune of Denise by Blondie. Is that what the track's called? Oh. Philippe, Philippe, Philippe oh, Montagnier. Right. Oh, yeah. He okay. came from France to teach the Reds to play. Allez, allez. He lasted about three months, didn't he? Yeah, although he apparently he, um, on the, the last day of the season when Forrest needed to win to stay up, he sent a, a good luck message um, from, you know, from his house in France. To, you know, long after he'd been sacked and treated quite badly, he, you know, he was nice enough to do that. That's nice. He's a nice man. It is, yeah. Sabri Lamushi will be doing the same in a couple of months' time. Yes, he will. I know. We should maybe should have ended it on Daniel Sturridge's dog. That was something more uplifting, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you want a Hadaway fact? Yeah, sure. It's um, pretty prosaic. The name of his first album? Is it Hadaway? The album. <laughs> Does what it says on the tin. Duncan, your weekend presumably centres around the, the Tour de France. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's been very good so far. Uh, you know, people talking about sport this weekend. For me, the iconic moment was uh, a couple of Frenchmen attacking off the front of the peloton on Saturday. So it's quite good because this weekend, France are getting good at cycling again. England are getting good at cricket again. It's uh, Everything's kind of falling back into its rightful place. And you're a two-sport only guy, essentially, so you weren't able to jump on the cricket panel. Well, yeah, this has been my long-standing theory that you can only really like two sports because to devote enough time to sport you know, to understand it and enjoy it, you can't have multiple. It's mainly the kind of Olympic thing where people go, oh, no, I really do like eventing and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it didn't stop me watching the, the tennis or the or the cricket. But to supplement your Tour de France enjoyment, you've been listening to the Bradley Wiggins show, which is available now, of course. Yeah, very good. Um, and he'll be back out on his motorbike buzzing around the peloton, I think, next week. Have you been enjoying that? 
Yeah, they've done it with a few. They've had Alberto Contador do it as well, and uh, Juan Antonio Flesh. It's been good. I mean, they've done it on French TV for a while, but it's, you know, there's no other sport really where, you know, imagine um, Jeff Shreves running on the pitch mid game and chatting to some of the players saying, What do you reckon you're going to do in a minute? That's essentially what it is. Um, some of the riders look a bit annoyed, some, you know, are quite into it. So it's, it's quite good. Nick, you're just cricket. That's your second sport, is it? Do you. Do you break the Alexander law and then follow anything else at any point? Uh, baseball. I'm uh, one of those English people who like an American, American sports. Um, Basically American cricket, isn't it? Sort of, but uh, with um, bigger chaps. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm back on Thursday with Michael Cox and Carl Anker, maybe a couple of other people too. If there's a topic you want to cover, let us know at The Totally Show on social In the meantime, keep up to date with all things Totally by following us on Twitter there. Thanks for listening. Meet you back here Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.